For those of you who remain, I'll invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1. And as you do, I call your attention to this hymn we just sang. I sang this hymn for decades and had no idea what potentate, ineffably, or sublime meant. And there's something to be said for taking old words and changing them to words that we're familiar with. And there's something to be said for writing them down and going back later and looking them up and seeing what the hymn writer was driving us towards, and I'll encourage you to do that. I won't spoil it by telling you what they mean. Hebrews chapter 1, I will invite you to turn there with me. We are looking at verses 4 through 14, but I'm going to read the whole chapter. This is God's Word. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds. And his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish. But you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those are to inherit salvation. This is God's word. Let's pray that he would teach us this morning. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would reveal the greatness of the Son to us this morning, and that we would not be captivated by the other glorious things of this creation, not even by the glory of angels, but we would have eyes only for the glory of your Son, who is exalted above all, and who reigns forever and ever. For us. Make this so, we pray, according to your grace in Christ. Amen. So I think there's a part of us that loves to argue and debate over greatness. And we do it with all kinds of things. We do it with sports. And humor me here. We've done this before, but humor me. LeBron or Michael Jordan? Who's the greatest? Okay, okay, okay. Some of you need a tutorial. 
Messi or Ronaldo or, or Pele. Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, like we do it with movies. Are you Marvel or DC? Yeah, TJ. Dark chocolate or milk chocolate? Yeah, or all chocolate. <laughs> Coffee or tea? Coffee. We do it with the musicians. Elvis or the Beatles? Okay. Taylor Swift or, like, I mean, is there a comparison? We do it with food. Memphis style, Texas style, North Carolina style, Kansas City style, barbecue. All of the above. All of the above. New York style, Chicago style pizza. Get that Chicago junk out of here, right? Like we... Like we, we like to argue over greatness. And it's fun. And there's this insatiable desire in the human nature to identify greatness and move towards it, to adore it. And this isn't all bad because we find in these things encouragement or, or hope or inspiration or joy. The problem isn't that we love to figure out great things and lift them up. The problem is that we are fundamentally flawed in our ability to identify true greatness. I'm tempted to lift up Chicago-style pizza as an example of this fundamentally flawed nature, but it's, it's always been this way. It's in our nature. When Adam and Eve chose to listen to the voice of the serpent rather than the great word of the God who made them. When Israel complained and said, wouldn't it be better for us to be back again in Egypt as slaves than to be here with you, Moses? When the disciples argued amongst themselves which one of them was the greatest. And even here in the book of Hebrews, we find that there was a contingent of this congregation that was debating over their favorite angel and how glorious and great they were. Jesus is wonderful. Yes, yes, yes. But have you heard of Gabriel or Michael? What what are the seraphim able to do? Have you considered the different rankings of the angels? What must it be like to be Close to them. There is this insatiable desire in us to identify and adore greatness. Our problem is that it is our flawed and sinful nature to exalt things that don't deserve it to the place of highest praise. We talked about this some in Sunday school, and some of you stole my thunder. We debate about parenting styles or educational choices or political candidates or how we dress or where we work or what sort of music we listen to. And we look down on those who would choose differently than us because we've exalted things to the highest place that maybe can't sustain the weight of the expectations we have of them. Hebrews comes as a cure to the twisted and corrupted heart 
that has a tendency to exalt the wrong things to the highest place. And the cure that it offers isn't to tear down the things that we adore as much as it is to order them rightly and to show us the source of all greatness, the one who is in the place of all majesty and all splendor and all glory, who is superior to everything from barbecue to angels. He is all glorious. And so what would it look like for us not to tear things down, but to order ourselves rightly and to be formed rightly, to understand what true greatness is and to chase after that, to pursue that. To help us towards that goal, the author gives us seven quotations from the Old Testament. He likes to do things in these numbers and categories that show us that he's done his homework. He could give us a hundred, a thousand passages of Scripture, but he gives us seven to show us how Jesus is superior to angels. And if he is superior to angels, it is only because he is superior to all things. And we ought to look to him as the greatest. Let's consider five ways that Jesus is all greatness. The first is this. Jesus has a superior name to every other name. He is the son. You are my son. Today, I have begotten you. There's a thing about names. They give you access. Greatness gives you access. And if you have the right name and the right status, you get that access. I have had some people inquire if they could use me to get those tickets to the Ferguson Center. And I am sad to disappoint that I'm not that kind of Ferguson. I'm of a different line and have no access to that concert hall. But if you knew somebody who worked On the stage crew for Taylor Swift, you might be able to get in that backstage pass. If you had a a cousin who worked for that senator, you might be able to get that special tour of the halls of power. You might get a special word in. We we love greatness because it opens doors. It gains access. But what kind of access do we need? if not to the living God. But can angels give us that access? This is what the readers were beginning to think, that that the access they needed wasn't to a, a political place of power. It wasn't to a place of entertainment. The access that they needed, the place that they wanted to be, was in the very presence of God and in his courts. And as they started thinking about how they could get there, They found themselves coming again and again to this testimony of Scripture that the ones who are there already are the angelic host. So maybe if they wanted to draw near to God, they could get the angels to help them. But as close as the angels are to the presence of God, there is one who is closer. 
The angels may surround the throne, but we read in Isaiah that they cover their eyes before God. There is one, though, who is seated at the right hand and who is called Son. And like in the first century Roman culture, there came a time in in every son's life where he was always the son, but there came a point where he was walked through this this ritual, uh, this, this time where he was named the son, and now he inherited all the rights and benefits that came with it. He was given the title son. He always was son, but now the title was his properly. And there was nobody who could question it. So when Jesus rose from the dead, he inherited a name that was superior to every other name. He was exalted to the highest place, the place of son, given not as a name, but as a title, signifying his glorious, majestic place. And whatever it is that God possesses, whatever it is that God owns, whatever it is that God has, the Son has access to it because He is the only begotten Son, and everything that is the Father's is the Son's. And so if you want access to the presence of God, you needn't call on the saints of old. You needn't ask your pastor for a special dispensation. You needn't even lean on angels to help you be ushered up into that place. You need only call on the name of the Son who makes brothers and sisters of all who come to him, makes them co-heirs that they too might possess all the blessings of the Father and enter boldly into his presence. The Son has a superior name. and He grants us access to the Father like no one else can. The second thing I want us to see is that the Son has a superior honor. Jesus is worthy of worship. You see this in verse 6. When he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. One of the reasons that we we love to chase after greatness is because it inspires. I mean, think of a a friend that you admire and how you start to to mimic their their mannerisms or, or that influencer and you start to follow their advice. Greatness inspires us to to be better, to to step into a different way of living. And so the readers of this letter, the hearers of this original sermon, found inspiration in angels. Look how mighty they are. Look how powerful they are. Look how glorious they are. Look at how they are always obedient to God's will. If only we could be more like them. But there's a problem in that way of thinking. Whenever we aspire to something that doesn't deserve it, whenever we find inspiration and encouragement from something that isn't truly great, it corrupts and tears down. Think about, think about ways that we do this. Just with 
with our favorite musicians. And we get into battles over who's the better guitarist, over who's the better concert performer, over who's the better. And like, it's just, it's all okay to like it all. But suddenly when we lift something as simple as a musician up to the highest place, it doesn't create unity, it creates division. Our favorite Sunday school teacher, you found the Corinthian church doing that. Well, I'm, I follow Paul, I follow Peter, I follow Apollos. And, and when we lift things up, as good as they may be, to that place they don't deserve, it creates division and it tears down. So it is with the angels. When John, in the book of Revelation, encounters an angel, he thinks it's so glorious it deserves worship, and he bows down, and the angel says, don't do that. You don't even know what you're doing. Because we don't even worship one another. Let all God's angels worship the Son. Here's the thing about worship. That which you worship, that which you adore, that which you have lifted up to that highest place shapes and forms you more than anything else. And you may say, oh, I worship this or I worship that. But you will know a tree by its fruit. And only Jesus is worthy of worship because only Jesus can bear up under the weight of that worship. He doesn't need anything from us. See, idols that we lift up, things that we worship that don't deserve it, they only take. They need more and more and more attention. If you worship your appearance, it doesn't get easier to look beautiful as time goes by. If you make an idol of your knowledge, it doesn't, it doesn't get easier to collect all of the things in your head. If you make an idol of anything, it only takes and requires more attention and creates more division as you look down on all of those who don't see it the way you do. But when you worship the Lord, who is all greatness and worthy of all worship, who needs nothing from you because he is superior to all things, In his grace and majesty, he gives and he shapes and he forms us, not in the likeness of angels, but in the likeness of God, in whose image we were made, that he might shape us and form us to be what God made us to be, children of the living God. Jesus alone is worthy of worship. Not only does he have a superior name and a superior honor, but the third thing I would call your attention to is that he has a superior authority. You see this in verses 7 through 9. where The author calls attention to angels being winds and ministers, a flame of fire, all these glorious things with such power. We had just minor winds that blew down big branches in my backyard. That's the thing that we like about greatness. It brings change. It makes stuff happen. And so we attach ourselves to those great people who have the power to to take a world that seems like it's crumbling and, and make it better. 
And so we adore political figures or social justice figures or those who have the power to bring about change because that's what greatness does. But here we are. Century after century after century after century has passed with great men and women ascending to the highest places of power, empires unlike any we have ever seen, covering the known world. And yeah, we have antibiotics, and we have airplanes, and we have iPhones, and we have all sorts of wondrous things, but are we better? Are our marriages still struggling? Are our nations still going to war against nation? Are we still consumed with sadness and misery and despair? Do we still find ourselves alienated from God and one another? And it might be enough looking out to say, well, then no one is great enough. To fix all this. But the author reminds us the Son, His throne, is forever and ever because He is God. Your throne, O God, is forever. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness to the place of kingship, to give you the name that is above every name, and you will rule with an uprightness because you hate wickedness. And you will bring righteousness to bear. And if ever we look out at this world and begin to wonder who has the power to fix it, the author tells us only the Son does. And only the Son will. And if for a time it seems as if his power is faltering or failing, it is not because he has lost his place. There was a time when one of God's servants doubted that God could overcome this strong nation that was oppressing God's people. And after praying, the prophet of God asked God to give this servant eyes to see God's might and power. And his eyes were opened to see the angelic host, the armies of heaven, the angels, in flaming chariots of fire, standing ready to protect God's people and do God's will. The Lord Jesus Christ could have called legions of those same angels to assist him in his need, but he did not because he has greater purposes for his people and he has greater purposes for this world. And so he's patient. And he rules for us, sitting at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, interceding for us, bringing all things to bear according to the counsels of his will for us. That we might know that he alone has all authority that we might have confidence in him, that we might not worship angels, but see them for what they are, those servants that God sends out as ministers to help us as God fulfills his purposes for his people. He has all authority because Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The fourth thing I would want us to consider is that he has a superior status. Jesus is eternal. 
And that's the thing about greatness, the thing that attracts us to it. It endures. There's that song that is your favorite song that has stood the test of time. And it just sticks in your head and it comes back in these moments. It's helped you get through difficult times and maybe it was written even before you were born, but it still is around. It endures. Legends inspires greatness. It endures. We know the names of those people who did these incredible things, who achieved these places of greatness. There's that recipe that you think about, that your grandmother made, that she learned from her grandmother, that you long to master yourself. Greatness endures. It stands the test of time. And the author of the Hebrews reminds his listeners and his readers, that the angels, they don't have that kind of greatness. There was a time when they were not, when there were no angels. There was a time when some of them fell and followed the father of lies, Lucifer, that great Satan who masquerades as an angel of light. And they followed him and became demonic in their work. And even now, those angels long to look into and understand why God would care so much for a sinful and wicked people that he would not just call them to himself, but send his Holy Spirit to dwell in them such that he would complete that which he began in them that he'll see it through. They long to look into those things. Who can see through to the end but the eternal Son? You, Lord, you laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning. The heavens are the work of your hands. Before there was even a place for the angelic host to dwell, the Son was. Everything else will pass away. And they will change, but you will have no end. He is eternal because he is God. And that which he began, he will see through to the end. And what he made, though it has fallen into sin and misery, though those he made in his image have followed after the father of lies and not their heavenly father, has not thwarted his plan to make a people for his own possession. And he is at work even now making all of his enemies a footstool for his feet. They can't stand in the way of his purposes. They can't stand in the way of his plan. They can't outweigh him or outlast him. He is eternal and he will bring everything to bear according to his eternal purposes. That gives us confidence. It gives us a rock to stand on when everything is tossed to and fro. When everything in this world feels like it doesn't make any sense, the diagnosis, the rupture in relationship, the struggles and frustrations at work that seem to bear nothing more than thorns and thistles, there remains a rock for us to stand on. One who is eternal, who has all authority and is worthy of all worship, 
who has a name that is above every name. There is something for us in him that allows us to stand firm in this world that nothing else can offer, not angels, not music, not another person, nothing else but the Son. And what is incredible about all of this is that Jesus does not lord it over us. But as we see in this final thing, he's not just superior in his status. He is superior in his family because Jesus, in all of his greatness and his majesty, uses it to help those in need. See, greatness, the problem with worldly greatness, the problem with our the things that we find great, the things that we have a tendency to lift up to the position of greatness, that sort of greatness, it excludes. I've yet to get a call to the inaugural dinner. And that's the thing. When you get to the most elite places, you have a tendency to look down on those who didn't get there. Greatness excludes. We see it all throughout history. In these times where there are these great regime changes, the king dies and all of his sons gather around to see which prince will be king. And rather than coming to a consensus, they start fighting amongst one another and they poison one another and they stab one another and they betray one another until finally the most vicious one is left standing and the world pays the price. But it's not that way with the eternal son. He who is exalted to the highest place exalts those who are in need, exalts those who are cast down into the pit, lifts up those bound in darkness that they might see light, takes those who are consumed with death and breathes new life into them. This is the good news of the gospel. This is what God announces for all to hear. That there is a king of kings. There is a lord of lords. There is one who is higher than all. Who is superior to every other power and principality in the universe. Who, unlike all others, will not destroy you. But will save you. Will save you from yourself. Will save you from Satan. Will save you from this corrupt and miserable world. And he does so not by taking anything from you but your sins. As he gives his own life for you. And as he rises from the dead. He proves to all who have eyes to see and ears to hear. That he is able to bring to completion everything that he has promised to his people. The exalted son who is seated at the right hand of the Father Almighty exalts his family, exalts his brothers and sisters, lifts up those who are in need. Look at verse 14 and see how great his love is for us. He doesn't exalt the angels. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve? For the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. For those who are to be saved out of their own wickedness, sin, and misery. Those who not just are to be saved, but, to, or, or, but who receive an inheritance of salvation 
as sons and daughters of God, made like the Son, and for whose sake God sends out the heavenly armies to guard, keep, protect, and serve them. See the great love our God has for his people, that the great Son would not trample us, but would lift us up and carry us up with him into the very presence of God, that we might not know greatness from afar, but might fellowship with the Son and with one another unhindered. He is worthy of worship. He alone is worthy to be exalted to the highest place. He and he alone can bear the weight of our expectations and our need as we exalt him to the highest place. Let us worship and adore him and him alone. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would give us eyes to see your true greatness. Or perhaps we do not worship angels as those in the first century were tempted to do, but there are other things that we are tempted to worship. There are other things that we lift up to that highest place. There are other things that we devote the attention to that only you deserve. Help us, O God, to return from these idols that would divide and destroy us and turn to the Son, that we might be lifted up by his word and his work. I know what it means to be restored to right fellowship with you. Do this, we pray, that Jesus might be glorious to us. In his name, amen.